Hi, we've got three stories from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn why the Mars Opportunity rover hasn't phoned home, the difference SPF makes when you're picking out sunscreen, and how scientists might be able to turn carbon dioxide into fuel. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Today's top story is about the Mars Opportunity rover, which we haven't heard from in a while. Yeah, where'd it go? I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows. Well, somebody's got to know. NASA better know. Well, expensive piece of equipment. I mean, they know it's on Mars, but yeah, (laughs) but that narrows it down. You know, we know it's there. So backing up, Opportunity touched down on Mars in 2004, and it was only supposed to last 90 days, but it's actually still alive and kicking, or you know, rolling after 14 years. It's found evidence for running water on the planet, explored a couple of big craters, and even got out of a sand trap. That's a big deal because its twin rover, Spirit, got stuck in one before it died around 2010. Aww. But like I said, we haven't heard from Opportunity in several weeks. Well, actually, I don't think we need to worry because it's just because of a dust storm. When I heard dust storm, I thought of the movie The Martian, but it's actually not a lot like that. Opportunity runs off of solar energy, and the dust is blocking a lot of its sunlight. So our favorite Martian rover is probably powered down and in safe mode. It's just hunkering down, you know? The weird thing is, NASA doesn't know why some dust storms are local, while some cover basically the whole planet. We do know that dust storms happen more often in the southern hemisphere when Mars is closest to the sun. That's because carbon dioxide ice at the pole evaporates, which makes the atmosphere thicker and increases the surface pressure. And at the same time, there are bigger swings in surface temperature that generate winds. NASA says Opportunity should have enough power to stay alive, and they're definitely keeping their eye on the situation. You can actually follow it on Twitter, at Mars Rovers, for updates. And if you search for the Opportunity rover on Twitter, you'll find tweets and even fan art from people who are worried about the little guy. You can see some of our favorite tweets in today's article on Curiosity.com and on the Curiosity app for Android and iOS, even if you don't have a Twitter account. And if you are on Twitter, then be sure to follow at Curiosity.com because we'll let you know when we hear big news. You can follow me and Ashley there, too. You can. Link's in the show notes. Ashley, do you wear sunscreen? Of course I wear sunscreen. Like, all the time? Well, always on my face. I mean, when you're a lady that wears makeup, pretty much everything has SPF in it at this point. Oh. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. Well, I don't wear makeup, but I do wear sunscreen. And summer is here, and there are a lot of types of sunscreen but should you buy SPF 15 or should you buy SPF 70? Well, today in Curiosity, we wrote about how sunscreen works. SPF stands for sun factor protection. Did, I didn't know that. I knew that. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> well, companies calculate SPF by comparing the time it takes a person to burn unprotected with the time it takes for them to burn wearing sunscreen. So if it takes you 20 minutes to burn with no sunscreen and use SPF 15, then you should theoretically be able to last 15 times longer. 20 minutes times 15 is about five hours. So lasting for five hours in the sun sounds good, right? Well, sunscreen doesn't actually last that long. Sweat, friction, and even the way that sunscreen is formulated can make it wear off. Dermatologists recommend reapplying sunscreen every two hours. So when you think about it time-wise, it doesn't really matter whether you get SPF 30 or SPF 100 because you'll probably have to put it on again before the difference in protection becomes important. But there is a difference in how much the SPF protects your skin. If a sunscreen is SPF 15, it blocks about 93% of UVB radiation. If you double it and get SPF 30, then that blocks 97%. So the difference percentage-wise is relatively small, right? 93 to 97%. 
go from SPF 30 to SPF 50, and you raise your blockage from 97% to 98%, so only a 1% difference there. So obviously check with your doctor if you think you might have sensitive skin or another condition that puts you at higher risk for skin cancer, because you might need the higher SPF. But there's no major need to beat yourself up at the store trying to figure out which one to pick. Just remember that for a full body application, you should use a full ounce of sunscreen, which is about a shot glass full of sunscreen. Just remember not to drink it. You pour it into a shot glass and make sure you put it on 15 to 30 minutes before you head outside so it can kind of settle in and give yourself a fresh coat every two hours. Summer safety first. My understanding is that most people don't put sunscreen on the right way. And that's really what leaves them susceptible to sunburn. Uh, because everyone wants to just put it on so that you can't see it, you know, but it really needs to be like white and then it'll dry and it won't be white anymore, but you need to have it to a point where it's like white on your skin for it to work. There you go. Stay safe. Play outside. Cody, do you know what bismuth looks like? Yeah, it's that weird colorful crystal with purple and green and it's really cool looking. It's the one where when you're a kid and you go in like a museum's gift shop, they have all those tubs of rocks and right. the, the coolest looking one is bismuth. Definitely. Yeah. It's all rainbow and looks like stairs on it. It's it's amazing. It's actually I didn't know that it's actually in Pepto-Bismol, which is where the bismol comes from. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. It's actually in a ton of stuff. It's in cosmetics and ammunition and all sorts of things. It's a really unique element. And new research shows that bismuth actually has a property that we can use to turn carbon dioxide into fuel. Here's the cool stuff about bismuth. It's the most diamagnetic metal, which means it's repelled by magnetic fields instead of attracted to them. It also expands when it freezes, kind of like water does, even though most other elements contract. And it melts surprisingly easily, so it's a good safeguard against high electric currents and electronics and good fire detection for sprinkler systems. Well, Joel Rosenthal is a chemistry professor at the University of Delaware, and he's been studying bismuth for a while. He says bismuth has catalytic plasticity, meaning it can convert one compound into any of several others with just a few tweaks. And in a new paper, he says his team was able to tune a chemical reaction to convert carbon dioxide into either carbon monoxide or formic acid. Formic acid has lots of industrial uses, from preserving food to manufacturing rubber, leather, artificial flavorings, and perfumes. And even cooler, carbon monoxide can be easily turned into gasoline with technology that already exists. This is huge because chemists usually need to create a new catalyst for every chemical reaction they want to study. But here, they're just using bismuth. And if we could use this technology to take CO2 from the atmosphere and turn it into useful fuels and chemicals, then that could be huge for the environment. Read about everything we talked about today and more on Curiosity.com and on the Curiosity app for Android and iOS. Join us again tomorrow for the Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. 